We are privileged this morning to hear from my old friend, Glenn McNaughton. Believe it or not, we go back to high school together. Glenn is a recovering pastor (laughs) and has a wealth of experience uh, from which I'm sure he'll be sharing with us this morning. The scripture Glenn will be preaching from is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Please follow along as I read it. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, good morning. Some of you I recognize and some of you I don't. And that's probably the same for you. And uh, most sermons, you start off with a corny joke, but I'm not going to start off with a corny joke. I'm going to start off with a survey. I'm going to ask you, you can raise your hand, if you own a computer, laptop, desktop, doesn't matter. Okay, you can put your hand down. Do you know, uh, when I was in seminary, I learned that actually computers go way back further in history than we realize. In fact, computers are mentioned in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Adam and Eve had a computer. It was an apple. (laughs) Don't groan yet, I'm not done. (laughs) However, it had limited memory. One bite and the whole thing crashed. (laughs) Groan now, wait until I get started. (laughs) This morning we want to look at obstacles to grace. And you saw uh, from the passage, give me just a moment to organize uh, myself up here. And um, we all go through obstacles. We all go through uh, trials, I should say. And sometimes those trials can be an obstacle to knowing God, encountering God, following him, and believing in him. Here are three men, and if you're a dad or a mom, you know you've uh, taught your kids about Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as we used to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and to bed you go. Um, and uh, and this is just a picture. Keep this picture in your mind as, as we go through the sermon, because whatever we go through in life, Christ is there with us, often invisible, yet real. Just like this. And these three followers of the Lord did nothing wrong. They were, they were faithful. And look where they are. And you see, there are times, well, I'm sorry, let me set up a few definitions first. What do I mean by obstacle to grace? Well, first, these are very elementary because I don't know how many people told me, Keep it short, keep it short, keep it short, you know, because I'm a pastor and I can talk for a long, long time, so I'm going to keep it short. And uh, first, grace is the condition of being in God's favor. And obstacles to grace are anything that hinders us from receiving God's grace. So when you go through a trial, here are some things that might hinder 
your perception of reality. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why does God let me go through this? Um, if God, uh, does he keep his word? What's going on? Uh, does he love me? And these become obstacles to our relationship with God. And in fact, though God is not the author of evil, we begin to wonder, well, what? something wrong with me? Maybe something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with God. And obstacles can distort our thinking about God, ourselves, and others. That's what I mean by obstacles to grace in the midst of trials. Sorry if I weave from the, the mic. But God is not the author of evil. What I'd like to do this morning is just share three obstacles uh, that I've gone through in my life. And um, as after Bob preached, Bob and I, like I said, we go way back to high school. But did you know that Paul and I go way back to junior high school? And um, And did you know, you didn't, a little trivia here, that, I guess I was a pastor in the, in the church we planted, met here, and I preached my first sermon under that, that basketball net in 1981. And I'm old. <laughs> I don't know if it's an, if it's a requirement to like be balding, to, to lead worship, or preach, or share, or be up front, but, but it seems to be the ticket to, uh, to, uh, being involved. I'm kidding. But anyway, um, there are different kinds of sermons. Some are, some, you know, you preach the word, you, you preach, uh, as, as Tim often does, through the word, through a passage. Some sermons are, uh, topical. Uh, several weeks ago, I was saying to Bob, uh, your sermon was topical. This one's kind of a hybrid, like a hybrid car. Part topical, obstacles to grace. Part testimony. This is just my story. I'm not saying that these obstacles are definitive or, I'm sure if we had time to share, you have obstacles in your life that are far exceed what I've gone through, but this is my story, so here we go. The first is uh, personal disaster, like the three men in the fiery furnace. You're just walking along with the Lord, and boom, you get hit with a disaster, and it's crippling, it's life-changing, it's painful, it's confusing, it hurts. The second is akin to it, but slightly different. Grave disappointments. You're following Jesus, and stuff happens, and it's it, it hurts. It's it's confusing. And the third is unforgiveness. Either others toward you, or you toward yourself. Maybe something you've done, and you can't forgive yourself, or the accumulation of those first two, this may sound odd, this may sound unorthodox, but maybe you need to forgive God because you resent him, because you resent what's going on, and that unforgiveness will distort and destroy your ability to receive grace and experience God's grace. So, excuse me, one second. I'm partially paralyzed, so I might wobble a little bit. Um, well, the first is personal disaster. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember the year that Jimmy Carter ran for president. I met Jimmy Carter in Rockville, Maryland, as he got off the bus, the peanut farmer who ran against Gerald Ford. 
Also that summer, I worked with uh, youth uh, at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland, where I grew up uh, from high school on. And that summer, like every summer, we didn't take kids to Jamaica or to Haiti or here or there. We took them to this other place, Rehoboth Beach. And I was a youth counselor, and we took 300 high school and junior high kids to Rehoboth Beach. And we had many counselors. Were we crazy or what? Well, anyway, yeah, 300 kids to the beach. Are you kidding? Well, anyway, um, two of the kids, two of the boys, were about this big. I was this big, and I was a year out of college. And um, I was 22 or 23 at the time, a year out of college. And these two big boys said, we're going to throw you in the water. And I said, want to bet? you got to catch me first. I was fast. And we were standing here, and about where the door is to, to exit was the ocean. And I said, you're going to catch me first. And then I figured, I was a lot faster than him, uh, I'll just run toward the ocean, dive in, get all wet, and they'll go pester some other dopey counselor. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> and... Uh, which is what I did. Ran fast. Grew up in, in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, near the Long Island Sound. So I was I knew swimming. I grew up near the grown up near the ocean. I dove in. Uh, the water was about up to my my hips. By the time I a wave came up, I dove in. Unfortunately, I thought I hit a swimmer in the rear end, a big one. I think, looking back on it, I might have hit a sandbar because there had been a big storm. In any event, when I hit, I, and you, men would understand this more than, maybe more than women, I don't know, but if you ever get hit in a solar plexus and it knocks the wind out of you so bad and you see stars, you know you get to get up before you pass out, especially if you're underwater. Only at that moment, I could feel nothing from the neck down. And if your legs ever fallen asleep, you know what I'm talking about, where you're shaking. It's like, come on, get with the program. I could feel nothing from the neck down. And I had had a conversation with a surfer six months earlier, by God's providence, I believe, who had broken his neck surfing. And I said, you didn't break your neck. This was the extent of my medical knowledge. People that break their neck die, you know, like they get hung and they break their neck and they die. You didn't break your neck. Well, he told me a story. And I'm going, I wonder if I broke my neck. And in the next moment, as real as you are there, Christ, Jesus, was in, was present with me. Jesus, I don't know how, I've never had an experience like this before or since. And I'd grown up in the ocean, near the ocean. And I, those of you who are my age, remember your mom telling you not to go swimming after lunch or after you eat because you'll drown, you know. So I'd grown up, I don't know if you have a phobia, like, Lord, I, 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 I really don't want this to happen to me. I don't want to I'd always had a fear of drowning. And you'll see on the screen here in yellow, the reason it's in yellow and red, is Christ in every obstacle we encounter, he brings himself and his grace. And I'm going to highlight that in each of these slides. And it's different. It's different with each obstacle. It's different in each experience because Jesus is God and he's Lord and he's unique. And in this case, I encountered Jesus and I had no fear of drowning. And a wave came and flipped me face up. So then, instead of being face down, I could see the sky, but there was this much water between my body and and the air. And we began to move toward what felt like a, a black doorway. That's the best way I can describe it. And I got this close. I mean, I got as close as you can get 
with perfect peace and the absolute overwhelming presence of Jesus. Uh, it just, I can't, that's the best, the best I can do is the way I'm describing it to you at the moment. Imagine, you don't can't conjure these things up. Imagine you're driving home today, you don't wear your seatbelt like me sometimes, and a car, you know, you, uh, you have a head-on collision and you're going through the windshield. You cannot can create constructs of, of Jesus at will. This was not something I was conjuring up. This He was there with me. And in that next moment, I realized I'm going to be in heaven with Christ. Another wave came. I guess it was a wave because I couldn't feel and I couldn't see. And my face, just just my face, just the top of my head came up out of the water. And a buddy who was also sitting where you are, uh, well, you were standing in the water, saw me, and he was Carrie Hubler and from Fourth Church. And uh, uh, I, 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 these muscles were, at that moment, paralyzed. It'd be like taking 10 men in this room, big guys, and sitting on your chest. You know, you're like, oh. I said, Carrie, I, I broke my neck. I can't move. Now, if you hang out with a bunch of 20-year-olds, what do you do next? You laugh. You laugh because Glenn's a goofball and he's kidding me. Until Carrie realized, uh-oh, something's wrong. And a lifeguard came and the other guys came, pulled me out of the water. It was just like something on TV. Who drowned? You know, and a thousand people gather around want to see who drowned. And I was like, no, I'm still alive. I'm still here. And took me to Rehoboth, to B.B. Lou's hospital, suburban hospital, uh, where I almost died of stroke later. And I was... Uh, I had broken my neck. I was paralyzed from the neck down and uh, uh, had an operation, um, was in the Maryland Rehabilitation Center for about half a year and discovered the word rehabilitation does not mean rehabilitation. Everybody there was about three, 400 people with broken bodies beyond repair. Nobody left except me and a few other people. But I, anyway, that's a story for another day. And... Um, uh, but Christ was with me in that in that disaster. Then the next disaster, the next thing you see up there is quadriplegia. Quad means four, for those of you that care. And uh, um, and, I, and they said, well, you're going to live your life in a wheelchair. And at fourth, as we believe here, people prayed. Lots of people prayed. I've met people 30 years later. This happened, by the way, 1976. So for you liberal arts majors, that was 41 years ago. And uh, I was a liberal arts major, but uh, anyway, pulling your leg a little bit. Um, many, many, many people prayed. And as the, like the changing of the seasons from winter to spring to summer, I gradually recovered. This side of my body's normal. This side's paralyzed. And with age and atrophy, it's kind of doesn't work so well. That's why I limp. But that's the next focus on grace, is that at times Jesus shows up the way he did dramatically to me. That doesn't happen very often, you know, in our experience, but he shows up and gives us his grace through prayer, the prayers of the body, the prayers of our fellow brothers and sisters. And so I just point that, that, um, that grace out to you. Next are grave disappointments. And as Bob mentioned, I'm a recovering pastor. And I guess, um, you know, uh, we all have our own goals, our own uh, idols. And um, I suppose if, 
you know, if, if you had thought, well, gee whiz, I had this near-death experience and I encountered Christ and, and, um, I, I want, I was working with kids. I should go into pastor and it'll, it'll be great. You know, it'll be great. And at that time, um, I forgot to show you this. This is, uh, I was in the same hospital as Johnny Erickson. Dick Halverson, who was the pastor of the church I attended at that time, gave me this book right as I left to go to the, to, um, up to Baltimore. And Johnny had gotten hurt nine years before. I had the same therapist as Johnny. This book was on my chest as I got gurneyed into my room. The, the therapist picked it up and went, Johnny! I had the therapist that taught Johnny Erickson how to draw. Here's what Alverson wrote. To Glenn, with the prayer that God will raise you up to perfect health and strength, blessings and love in Christ, Richard C. Halverson. And I kept this on my bookshelf. And uh, I've, met, I've met Johnny Erickson. But... Um, um, so I went in the pastorate, and I'd gone to, anyway, to make a long story short, because I'm looking at the clock, um, I would define my experience in the pastorate um, because of my idols of people-pleasing. Maybe you're a people-pleaser, too. If you're a people-pleaser, I have a tip for you. You better be strong in the Lord, or you're going to die from the criticism that you get, because I was not as good as the other guy who preceded me. In fact, or not in fact, but... I, this is great irony. I preached my first sermon under that basketball hoop. It was the, I call it the mother church, Gainesville Presbyterian Church on the corner of 15 and 29 right over there. And we started a church in Manassas. And it was the hardest five years of my life. The Popoviches, remember, they were there, the Sows, the Klimas. And, and, and it wasn't anybody else's fault. It was, it was stuff at home. It was stuff in me. I couldn't deal with criticism. I was getting migraine headaches a lot, a lot. And I said, this, this, this job's gonna kill me. <laughs> I gotta do something different. Now I had spent four years in college and four years full time at Gordon Conwell Seminary in Westminster. I would say my experience in the past was like doing a cosmic belly flop. I just felt so defeated. It was very disappointing and I, and I kinda didn't know what to do with myself so I, I was good at one thing and that was academia so I, I went to work on a doctorate in counseling. I did all the coursework, was working on the thesis, and thought to myself, I'm not a, I don't want to listen to people's problems all day for a living. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that sooner before I finished all the coursework? But anyway, I moved as far away from here as I could get. I'm not saying, I'm I'm giving you this in retrospect. At the time, I was not deploying what I'm preaching. I was in coping mechanisms, and I got. We moved to Moosehead Lake, Maine. That was as far away as I could figure out as I could get from here. I did. I was just. I was broken, and um, and so uh, just one second. So that was the first. But up there, I started a mail order Christmas wreath business that took off, and uh, in Maine, which is kind of like uh, a cold version of West Virginia. Um, I was a big fish in a small pond, and so I got involved in politics, and one thing led to another, had, had money saved up, had a seasonal business, and actually ran uh, for the United States Congress in the 2nd Congressional District and lost by 3%. Now, emphasis on the word lost, because you ever feel like God led you to do something? And then second, intergalactic cosmic belly flop. You know, it's like a public loss, a public... It was disappointing, and it was confusing, 
And um, and then from there, I moved. We moved our family. I have a wife and and uh, three children and and a grandma who lived with us who had Alzheimer's. But uh, um, moved out to Tucson, Arizona. Got an MBA in finance. Moved back to this area, and. Um, Got involved in the mortgage business, which was wonderful. It was great until 2007. And uh, my income went from six figures to go figure. <laughs> or as last week, if you were here, you remember our, our uh, African-American black pastor friend, as, as, as sometimes as only a black pastor can poetically put it, I went from the uttermost to the guttermost. And it was it was scary and confusing and painful because I, and I live, I live right near Vint Hill on 10 acres. I mean, we had, we had it all. And then for four years, I didn't make a house payment. Four years. I mean, I don't know what you're going through, but have you been going through it for four years? Because between me and when they, and, and they tried to foreclose four times and I kept working with the knuckleheads, excuse me, but I, you know, I did this for a living. I'd work with them. I knew all the ins and outs and I'd get a package, thumbs up. A month later, I'd get a package, thumbs down. We're going to foreclose. And, and I, I, I was unemployed and I was underemployed. I did the census, the 2010 census. I walk with a cane. I cannot run. Do you know what walking with a cane and not being able to run is like when two attack dogs are on each of your, I don't have much back there to begin with. And, uh, and I had, I just remembered a cartoon deputy dog, but man, I had these two dogs uh, right on uh, Beverly Mill, uh, right, right up here. It was not fun. It was humiliating. It was hard. And, and I was confused. Well, um, uh, along with this, I'm just, and again, I'm just sharing with you my experience and how Christ comes into our experience, your trials, your temptations, your difficulties, so that they don't become obstacles to grace. Um, this was, it's, this is June, obviously. Well, six months ago was Christmas, obviously. On Christmas Eve, uh, three days before uh, our 36th anniversary, I get a package in the mail. Oh, a big Christmas card from a law firm. No, it was divorce papers. And that's um, so all I'm going to say. I promised my wife, who's now ex-wife, which is really weird to say because, I, I mean, who walks down the aisle thinking, I hope this ends up in a lawyer's conference room? Uh, crazy and hard. And yet, Christ is there. Christ is with me. And the means of grace that God used in my life, and I'm especially honing in on the men here. It's Father's Day. What man wants counseling? Almost none. But if I said coaching, if I said Christian coaching, you, your ears would perk up. And, and you wives know what I'm talking about because you talk to your husband and you, you tell him something. You tell him, he goes, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But he doesn't change. You know, yeah, 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 doesn't change. That was me. Yeah, yeah, you know, everybody's you know, telling me stuff and I'm not getting it. It's not sinking in. Sometimes, in the Bi- if you do a Bible study sometime, you want to do a Bible study that's interesting, do one on on the word counsel, receiving counsel, and counseling. Because it takes a skilled counselor to get past all the defense mechanisms, all the deflections, all the ways that a person goes, I got this. No, you don't, you moron. You don't have it. 
I got this. No, no, you don't. You really don't. And it takes skill. It takes, it takes a special gift of a counselor. I'll call him a coach, okay? I mean, if you were baseball, you'd want a coach to teach you how to swing right or golf or whatever. And that's another means of God's grace. And, and men, we're resistant. I'm talking about obstacles to grace. Here's one of them right here, your ego. It's an obstacle. You don't want coaching. I didn't either. But, uh, oops. And then maybe the most uh, pervasive obstacle to grace is unforgiveness. And it could be. And, and believe me, having been a pastor, having counseled lots of people, I have a whole auditorium full of other people's skeletons in a closet, and I don't betray anybody's confidences. But I can tell you, lots of people have suffered horrendous things in their life at the hands of others. At the same time, I've counseled with many people who've done awful things, and they can't forgive themselves. And then there are times when it's disappointment, we're, we're disappointed, and we, and we can't forgive God. It's like, God, let me down. And you know what I'm talking about. You get bitter, you get closed off, you're isolated, and there's fruit in your life. As I'm going to read here, unforgiveness leads to bitterness and distorted views of God. An unforgiving spirit, listen to this, please. An unforgiving spirit within you will exceed the evil done to you. I know of what I speak. I just can't talk to you about it because I promised some people I, I, when I talk publicly, I'm not going to go there. Um, but I will give you one uh, illustration, and that's uh, my younger brother. Excuse me just yet again. In our family, I don't know what your nuclear family was like. I had mom and dad and me and one younger brother, five years younger. Just like a lifted out of the page of the New Testament, I was the older brother, the Boy Scout, that, you know, this sometimes straight-A student and all this razzmatazz, the hard worker, the people pleaser, firstborn. It comes with the territory. I told my firstborn, I said, you know why God made firstborns, don't you? He, she, she goes, no, I, had three, I have three daughters. She goes, no, why? I said, well, when God goes on vacation, somebody's got to be in charge. And uh, so, anyway, then I had the younger brother, younger brother, polar opposite, drugs, sex, rock and roll, you know, whatever's the blast, uh, drops out of high school, finishes high school, uh, you name it, other end of the spectrum. So that's the two of us. When I broke my neck and I was in the hospital, my brother came to visit me the next day with his friend, leaned over, I'm, I've got tubes in every opening in my body that I don't want. <laughs> I'm in pain. I can't move. I'm in traction. I, a lot of pain. I mean, off the charts pain. And he looks over to bed and he goes, hey, still believe in God? Turned around and left. Never visited me again. That's that was That was the relationship. Then, fast forward to the 1990s, my my, uh, my dad was an only child, so his parents immigrated here from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland in the 1920s, and everything they had worked and saved for, their life savings, in the 1990s, my, my, my grandpa passed away, and my grandma lived with my dad, and my brother got a hold of that money and absolutely destroyed. I, 
it, you might as well have lit a match to it. It, it, it was it, fast forward another ten years. My dad dies, and my brother lives with my mom. I was appointed trustee. She was dying of cancer, so I'm going from Manassas to Bethesda. Why? Because my brother's robbing her blind. I in, I involved the bank. I involved a detective from Montgomery County, and uh, if he had if he had let me help him. I had set it up. They lived in a beautiful five-bedroom house near uh, Montgomery Mall. And uh, I had set it up because he, he had turned unemployment into an art form uh, that he could live in the house with his buddies and they could pay him rent. And he could live there after mom died the rest of his life. It all fell apart, was destroyed. After the fact, he sued me for one and a half million dollars. I didn't have one and a half million pennies. Again, for you liberal arts majors, that's eleven thousand five hundred dollars, and uh, I didn't have, I didn't, you know, I didn't have, and 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 so, how am I going to deal with this this guy? Well, for ten years we didn't talk, and he moved out to Hawaii. Jesus always walks with us and he who began a good work in you will carry it to the end uh, to uh, to uh, will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus those of you who remember when we were were doing the Sunday school class on this topic on spiritual formation see Christ with his grace he brings to us his power his ability to forgive and the bible says overcome evil my brother was evil. He's an evil guy. But overcome evil with good. And many of you remember praying for him. And some friends that, uh, will remember, well, be careful. But he moved to Hawaii. And I figured it was Hawaii. He's kind of like, you know, and it's far enough away that as we prayed, God moved. My brother is 33 years active in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is not a Christian prayer, but it is a prayer that they use in, Alco- uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, not, not a prayer, but a to, to make amends. And so this is what he, uh, we friended each other on Facebook. I figured, well, that's safe. He's a safe distance away. Dear Glenn, I, I hope this letter finds you and, and everyone well. It's been a long time since I've had a brother to talk to. See, some of you tearing up. Makes me tear up, but that's okay. I miss and love you and your family. And the reason for the letter is to humbly ask for your forgiveness of all, of any and all past wrongs done to me, done to you by me. I'm also asking for your humble forgiveness. In doing so, it is my hope we can move forward into a new and happy relationship free from our past. I hope we can speak soon. Love always, Bryce. I would love to talk to you this weekend. Well then, and I forgave him. Since so the power of forgiveness, the power of Christ. I didn't forgive him because I'm a nice guy or a forgiving guy. I'm one, you know, at times, well, you know what it's like when somebody does stuff to you. But the work of Christ, the, the, of the, the Holy Spirit in your life, gives living water to where you can extend grace where none is deserved. Because you didn't deserve any. Well, anyway, um, we had a Sunday school class here a couple years back. And I brought to the class, because it was on spiritual, there was this topic, spiritual formation. I said, here is the least, th- this is the one person I know is the least likely person to come to faith in Christ, my brother. And we began to pray. And we began to pray for him. And you know what happened? He got unemployed. And then you know what happened next? He had four pulmonary embolisms. One will kill you. He had four. And, and then he got pneumonia. 
And we kept praying. And then a lot of you sent him cards and prayed for him. And he's in bed. And he's, he, he needs a walker to get from the bed to the men, to the bathroom, which is about as far away as I am from you. Not far. 33% lung capacity. And so we're praying. And I'm thinking I better go visit him because uh, God's working on him. But he's, I'm probably not going to be with him. In a, I, I, this is probably the only chance I have. So a year ago, I visited him in Hawaii. And when he picked me up, he said, Glenn, I just came from the doctor's. And he did. He had this little white car and he picked me up. He goes, the doctor said, I, I don't have the embolisms and the pneumonia has gone and I have 99% lung capacity. And he's, and he, he's gone from really, really hostile <laughs> toward God, as I said, you know, the, to he believes he's not yet. He doesn't yet make the can he can, he's having a hard time connecting the dots with Jesus and forgiveness and all that. He thinks the way to heaven is you got to. Bust your fanny to do good stuff and not do bad stuff anymore. Religion. But um, we keep praying. His name's Bryce. And uh, if you're confused, he's the one on the left. And uh, <laughs> I would never wear a T-shirt like that, by the way. I don't know if you can read it, but uh, it's two dogs smelling each other saying it's a Facebook friend request. I, he, anyway, he's got a crass sense of humor. But sorry I brought that up in the sermon. But <laughs> it's uh, that's my brother. So... Um, but what obstacles to grace are you facing this morning? And in a moment, we're going to encounter the grace of Jesus at the Lord's table. And I want to close with this. I want to close by praying. But let me read to you what I'm going to pray because, um, you know, some prayers are written. Some prayers are extemporaneous. Uh, most are extemporaneous. This one is not. This if I can open my iPad. Let me read the author of this hymn and this poem. Let me tell you who... Everybody heard of Charlotte Elliott? Charlotte Elliott, at age 32, became an invalid and loved, lived another 50 years in constant pain. She suffered a serious illness that left her depressed. In 1822, her father hosted a well-known evangelist from Geneva, Switzerland, in his house, Dr. Malin. Well, the pastor came in and noticed Charlotte's dejection. And he asked her, are, are you Christian? Charlotte reacted, railed against God and her family, railed and refused to talk to him. She became sour, bitter, and resentful. Well, after a season, and she ref, after a season, she 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 apologized and and she wanted she said, well, I, I want to clean up my life before I become a Christian. The pastor looked at her and said, clean up your life. No, the only way you can come to Jesus is to come to Him, just as you are. And suddenly, her eyes were open to Jesus and the gospel. And grace and the obstacles were removed. The phrase, just as I am, lingered in her heart for 14 years. And then she wrote this, and let's, let's, I'm gonna convert the, you, you'll recognize it if, especially if you've been to a Billy Graham crusade, and if you're Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, but I still recognize the hymn. Uh, for those of you who still don't know what I'm talking about, it's the hymn, just as I am. And 
So let's bow in prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, we all face different things. And there are obstacles. It is not possible to walk the life of faith without warfare. But but as Charlotte wrote, we pray, Jesus, just as I am... Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Jesus, just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome me, will pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And finally, just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yes, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with thanksgiving. Amen.